section ten of among typhoons and pirate craft by lindsay anderson this librivox recording is in the public domain section ten chapters twenty eight through thirty chapter twenty eight from nagasaki to wusung more pirates the japs and their baggage having been got on board the dinghy is quietly passed along and hoisted on board in a very noiseless manner all hands are called on deck in the same silent mode and the work of unmooring the ship is carefully proceeded with we do not lift our anchor but having unshackled the cable at the forty-five the chain is noiselessly walked back on the capstan till the rope that is attached to the unshackled end is in the hawsepipe a buoy rope is then attached to the end link just long enough to keep the buoy about one fathom under the surface of the water when the end of the cable is at the bottom the buoy is lowered into the water and then the end of the cable is lowered to the bottom just as the emont begins to forge ahead under the pressure of a small awning which had purposely been left hanging up to dry with our night-glasses we in vain search for any signs of life or movement in the watching-boats but as far as we can make out they are all evidently fast asleep the end of the line attached to the cable slips out of the hawse-pipe with prearranged noiselessness the end being lowered into the water by means of a piece of marlin slowly and silently we take our way out of the harbour in order to surprise the inhabitants who had made such a desperate effort to force us out of the place on the first morning of our appearance there a quarter of a mile away from the anchorage we have left and the topsail is set then as we gradually increase our distance from the port sail after sail is spread upon the emont till she is once more clad in her usual full plain sail by midnight we are clear of the harbour and gradually drawing out from the land into the strength of the monsoon the watches are set and those whose turn it is to seek repose retire below and leave the emont in the care of mr nealance and his watch when duty again calls me to the deck i find the emont in her usual wet and treacherous mood that is if one had a care to keep himself dry and comfortable we are now in the full strength of the monsoon the wind is a point abaft the beam and we have as much of it as she can sit in the water with carrying all plain sail as well as topmast and lower studding sails she is dancing over the white crested waves like a very thing of life and beauty but you have to watch the ever spattering showers of spray for the emont is no respecter of places or persons and keeps on slinging the water about in every conceivable direction the quarter-deck receiving as goodly a share as the forecastle or the waist passing lightly over the small annoyance of an occasional ducking from the silvery spray there is nothing in this life more enjoyable or exhilarating to the senses than to have the pleasure of bounding over and through the ever-glistening waves on board a fast and well-found craft that is propelled by sails alone for in a craft propelled by mechanical agency none of these feelings can be engendered 
we carry this breeze for nearly forty-eight hours then as we near the coast of china the breeze gradually abates till our speed is reduced from fourteen and fifteen knots an hour to that of eight nine or ten at the most and the latter only when it hauled somewhat more towards the beam we take a more southerly channel than usual when we approach towards wusung in order to avoid if possible coming into conflict with any of the piratical junks who infest the environs of the saddle islands our precautions are however of little avail for some of the piratical fraternity have for some reason or other seen fit to change their cruising ground and when we are within a possible six hours of completing our passage we are met by three large and powerful-looking junks evidently from their movements bent upon our capture or destruction it is early in the forenoon of the fourth day since leaving japan that we descry on our weather-bow these three hostile junks when we first observe them they are heading in a northwest direction close hauled on the starboard tack and seemingly working their way to the northward the breeze has freshened considerably as the day advanced and at the time when we sight the junks we are going along at the rate of twelve knots an hour we of course keep on our course not knowing the character of the junks when they first come into the range of our vision but in less than a quarter of an hour we are soon made aware of their hostile intentions by seeing them put their helms up and wear round till they bring the wind on their port quarters then running on a course at a right angle to that which we are steadily pursuing all hands are piped to quarters on board the Eamont. the guns which have been carefully sponged and reloaded the previous afternoon are cast loose and prepared for action the magazine is opened and the small arms are stacked in the racks for instant use while at the same time each man is supplied with a good amount of rifle and revolver ammunition a short and stirring address is made by the captain to the assembled ship's company who are afterwards regaled with a glass of their favourite beverage and dismissed to their stations mr nealance calls out the captain after he has watched the manoeuvring of the junks for some little time get that dragsail laid across the taffrail as soon as you can and have it ready to drop over ay ay sir replies nealance as he dives below with half a dozen of his men to fetch that most important piece of canvas on deck in five minutes time nealance has got the dragsail in readiness and only awaits the orders of the captain to let it fall into the water and bring the eamont to a standstill i am on the forecastle head standing by my long eighteen-pound carronade waiting in readiness for the order to fire but the captain makes no sign although we are fast approaching the hostile junks the junks are carrying on all the canvas they can press and are keeping at right angles to our course as if they were afraid we might slip past them reserve your fire the captain shouts till the junks are on the port bow then slap it into them fast and hot mr jule and i train our guns to port and the men at the port broadside guns stand with trigger line in hand waiting for the coming moment let go your dragsail i heard the captain shout to nealance when the three junks are almost within two hundred yards of us brace sharp up and flatten in all is the next order which is executed ere the sound has died out of his voice cut away your dragsail shouts the captain both sides of it and let it go 
"'Keep her close to the wind, my man,' says the captain to the man at the wheel, "'but clean full. Don't shake her.' "'Fire away now, my lads. Let them have it hot and strong,' shouts the captain, in loud stentorian tones. The whole three junks are on our port bow, they having carried on, calculating on the rate of speed we were travelling at, and, of course, not knowing or imagining that the Emont had almost stood still for nearly ten minutes fire away we did and with tolerably good result if one could take the yells and screams of rage that came from the baffled enemy who had never been able to get a shot to bear upon us so eager had they been to get to close quarters and throw some of their suffocating stink-pots on board not only the screams of rage and pain but in the dismasting of two of the junks there was good evidence that our shot had not been wasted although three shots from each gun were all that we had time for so fast was the Emont careering away to the northwest under the altered conditions well done my lads i hear the captain shout from the quarter-deck now cease firing run in your guns and make all secure again he continues when the Emont has passed out of the range of her antagonists as soon as the guns are secured mr jewel nealance and i lead all hands aft to the mainmast and we give three times three as lusty cheers for the captain as ever rang across the ocean for to him and his dragsail manoeuvre our success in the encounter was mainly due beautifully done wasn't it bill i hear the men saying one to the other how pretty he walked the Emon into windward of him says another and many more were the eulogistic expressions that fell from the lips of our crew ere the sun set on that eventful day pipe the hands to grog mr jewel says the captain and then set the watch for i think we will fetch Wu soong now without any more bother the captain's health is drunk and the men are dismissed to their quarters the Emont is again kept on her course for her destination and the yards well trimmed to the breeze the junks are nearly out of sight astern making the best of their temerity and no doubt storing up much vengeance in their hearts to spend upon us the next time we foregather on the ocean our japanese passengers are very profuse in their acknowledgment of our prowess for possibly they had never seen such a sight before and it would be grand news for them to relate amongst their friends when they returned at five o'clock that afternoon we crossed the bar at wusung and ere the sun has sunk behind the western hills the Emont is once more at anchor under the powerful battery of her receiving ship the sails are furled the booms swung out and the boarding nettings triced up the better to keep off the many thieves and others who infest the different ports of the celestial empire the captain's gig is put into the water and he takes his departure for the receiving ship after which mr jewel nealance and i with our two japs sit down and enjoy once more a comfortable dinner for when the Emont was driving through the foam-crested waters it took all your time to hold on to the dish in hand without paying too much attention to those adjuncts of civilized life forks knives and spoons chapter twenty nine to ningpo through the battle of Xinai. what do you think of our skirmish to-day asks mr jewel of nealance and me as we sit at dinner 
splendid says nealance that water sail just took in all their calculations they were right across our bow before they knew where they were and then as the fools wore round to bring them in line with us they gave us a nice chance to rake them fore and aft ours was a splendid bit of seamanship i remark and theirs was a huge blunder but i wonder the captain did not stop and sink them especially after two of them were dismasted against orders says mr jewel we are only allowed to protect ourselves and we are not supposed to do the work of the royal and imperial navies time is another thing the captain has to consider remarks nealance as well as what might happen to us should a stray shot knock some of our spars away there would be no quarter for any of us should we get disabled and fall into their clutches so it is just as well to keep them out of range we destroyed those other junks on our way up to nishuang i remark in support of my suggestion for the destruction of the junks true enough says nealance but i don't think we would have boarded them had the captain not been sure that they were deserted he may have had permission to tackle them or he may have expected a richer prize than they turned out to be wheels within wheels i remark at which we all burst out laughing much to the amusement of the japs who are dining with us and taking lessons in the etiquette of the western dinner-table by the by says mr jewel neither of you have told me how you managed to get ah ching to disgorge simple enough replies nealance i threatened to bring him on board to the captain so that he should be delivered up to the tutai of shanghai to clear us from having any hand in assisting him to escape <laughs> was he much frightened asked mr jewel rather replies nealance especially when i told him what an awful pity it would be to see that noble-looking head of his stuck up in a box on the city walls i think the picture i drew in imagination about his head being cut off to decorate the city walls made him think his head of more value to his body than the possession of a few paltry dollars that was the lecture i gave him again says nealance when you went down to the boat with the box half full of dollars anderson and that brought us in another thousand when he came to understand the great dangers we had saved him from you are a cool hand nealance says mr jewel at getting round a chinaman i don't know so much about that remarks nealance i have generally come off second best when i have been doing a trade with them and this lift from ah ching will not make up for the half i have lost in dealing with his countrymen what do you say about it anderson asks nealance like yourself i reply i have been bit several times with them for they are very cute at a bargain on the other hand i have met some of them who were as honourable as any white man but then they were chinamen who had left the celestial empire and been brought up under the influence of western barbarians and generally prided themselves on their european style of mannerism it is not much loss to ai ching remarks nealance and he will have it out of the first barbarian he comes across or out of those simple japanese as he teaches them how to finance and trade on the new model we are on the point of rising from the table when our actions are accelerated by hearing the quartermaster on watch call down the companion the captain will be at the gangway in a minute mr jewel as we had not expected him back till the morning we hurriedly make our way on deck and are only just in time to meet the captain as he lands on the deck had your dinners gentlemen asked the captain 
yes sir replies mr jule and the men have finished their suppers too i suppose queries the captain of mr jule yes sir replies our chief officer hoist the gig up and heave short while i go and have a snack and away goes the captain to the saloon leaving us all wondering what next we are to be up to for we had all been so sure of getting to shanghai on the morrow before the middle of the day nealance attends to the hoisting in of the captain's gig and mr jule and i look after the heaving in of the cable paul the capstan says mr jule when sufficient cable has been hove in then he wins his way aft to report to the captain who has made his appearance on the quarter-deck having finished his snack of inward nourishment nealance and i are now beckoned aft to the quarter-deck where the captain informs us that the rebels are threatening the city of ningpo and orders have come down from shanghai for us to go and assist any of the citizens who are wishful to leave the beleaguered city now we will get under way says the captain after he has given us the foregoing information and if we have anything of a clear night at all we should get to chinyai by daylight the work of getting under way goes rapidly on and in a quarter of an hour's time we are carefully taking our way over the bar again the night is dark but clear and on the whole it is a good night for making out any distant objects therefore the captain elects to proceed by way of the inner route as it being so much the shortest will save a good many hours sailing getting safely over the bar a course is shaped to take us inside of twang so island the eamont is allowed to go at an easy pace so that we can pick our way in safety and hands with sharp-set eyes are planted on the lookout to watch for dangers seen or unseen and more especially for junks that might attempt to bar our way two officers remain on watch at a time during the night and the utmost vigilance is practised so that we may thread our way through this most intricate passage without coming to grief nothing of any moment happens during the course of the night more than the trimming of the yards and the altering of the course as we wend our way through and between wusung and chinai when the night gives place to welcome day the entrance to chinai can be plainly seen some twelve or fourteen miles away bearing about two points on our starboard bow the eamont under the orders of the captain is kept dead away for the entrance all her flying kites are set and every yard brace and sheet is trimmed down to catch and make the most of the favourable and refreshing breeze an early breakfast is dispatched fore and aft then all hands are piped to stations as we approach the entrance to ningpo river guns are run in and carefully examined to see that all are in fighting order ammunition is distributed and the small arms stacked in readiness around the mainmasts more than usual care is taken to have everything in readiness the captain having been warned that the rebels might try and oppose our passage up the river as we draw in towards chinai the sound of cannonading can be distinctly heard and as we get nearer the crack crack of musketry skirmishing can likewise be made out before we enter the narrows nealance and i by order of the captain pass round the deck and place a rifle for each man within easy reach of his arm while at the same time he attends to the working of his gun 
that a battle is going on in the vicinity of chennai is only but too evident for as we approach the city volley firing and cannonading sound in our ears with a very real distinctness anderson says the captain to me you are well acquainted with the river are you not tolerably well sir i reply you had better remain aft here then says the captain and attend to the steering nealance you can give an eye to that forward gun should we get into action aye aye sir replies nealance i don't think there is much danger of that gun being well served for that fellow boodin that is captain of it is every inch a gunner are you acquainted with any of the army standards anderson queries the captain of me yes sir i reply i know the imperial well enough but i am not sure about the rebels keep a lookout then for the imperials and we will keep towards their side of the river if possible says the captain as we get within gunshot of the city we run the largest british ensign we have on board up at the main topmast head and another somewhat less in size is floated from the main gaff end the breeze has freshened with the rising sun and we have now as we pass the city of chennai a slashing twelve-knot breeze somewhere about four points on the port quarter the river is narrow here and both sides can be seen with ease without the aid of glasses on the left bank of the river i can make out the long narrow yellow standard of the imperialists with its long winding dragon therefore we haul the emont over towards that side of the river as the flood-tide is with us we fly past the town of chennai like a flash of lightning then as we enter the narrow portion of the river we are treated with a fusillade from the right bank the sound of which is deafening but its effect on our progress is invisible their shot falls far short of us and the one or two heavy guns they have in position must have been sighted for a shot at some celestial object for the balls go whistling over our mastheads and find their way into the camp of the imperialists our starboard guns are discharged right into the rebel camp for such we take them to be that have dared to fire upon the british ensign but with what result we cannot make out as the emont flies past at such rapid pace that new batteries and platoons of fighting men keep opening into view at every moment we have a still narrower portion of the river to run the gauntlet of so for the most part we reserve our fire till we come to this particular place then as we get into this channel we give it to them on the right bank of the river hot and strong here the rebels are attempting to force the passage of the river by means of rafts boats and all banner of things floatable the scene through which we now pass defies description and the rebels are so intent on forcing their way across that we only receive from them the passing consideration of the balls that are fired into the imperial camp the butchery that was going on around us as we passed through this narrowest portion of the river was something awful here were a few rebels on a catamaran of hasty and indifferent construction another few of them in sampans and another water vehicles and all attempting to gain a footing on the left bank of the river spears and knives seemed to be the principal weapons in use amongst the rebels only a few of the officers having anything in the shape of firearms 
the imperialists were mowing them down with a galling musketry fire at less than a hundred paces while at the same time down at the water's edge and even in the water itself desperate hand-to-hand -hand encounters were plainly visible to us as we raced through the channel drowning men were stabbing drowning men in their ferocious endeavours to annihilate each other and it is beside the mark when i say that they were the most ferocious specimens of the human form divine it had ever been my lot to witness engaged in sanguinary warfare it has often been remarked in my hearing by some of those engaged on the imperial side that this day's battle was one of the bloodiest in the annals of the taiping rebellion we pass unscathed through this mad scene of butchery except for a few spent shot that have landed against our sides and bulwarks and left their mark behind then as we steadily pursue our way up the river towards ningpo the cannonading and noise of battle gradually decrease till distance shuts out the very sound and sight of the battle and the upper reaches look so pleasurable and inviting in their garb of fragrant foliage that one could almost imagine the last hour that has passed to be but a phantasm emanating out of a fever-maddened brain did you ever see such infernal devils says the captain to me as we glide past the infuriated savages and witness them plunging their daggers up to the hilt in their antagonists throats their chests or their sides anywhere at all where they can strike home with their right hand while with their left hand they either clutch their enemy and endeavour to force him under the water or else endeavour to ward off the fatal stab from their own body no quarter given or taken there sir i reply very little of that says the captain with a grim smile for prisoners are considered a nuisance and are generally got rid of in a summary manner i hope the imperialists will gain the day i remark how so queries the captain well if the rebels succeed in capturing chinai they will be able to block the entrance and we will have a tight job of it to get out again i reply can't help it says the captain we will have to get out of it somehow and my orders are to return immediately or at least as soon as we have succeeded in getting those people out of the city that we have come to assist has there been any other craft sent round here i ask yes replies the captain i expect to see the zephyr coming down every minute and you may be sure there will be a lot of lorchas making as many dollars as they can assisting the inhabitants to clear out but very likely they are waiting the result of this morning's battle i think we are pretty well out of the melee now says the captain about half an hour after we have passed through the opposing armies tell mr jewel i wish to see him mr jewel says the captain you can pipe to grog and then let the men retire from stations but keep them handy in case of any surprise very good sir replies the chief officer then ere he proceeds to carry out the captain's orders he cannot forbear saying an awful waste of human life down there sir pointing over the stern of the eamont yes mr jewel says the captain with a smile much like what we read about of the old bare-legged savages in ancient britain in the good old days 
the men are piped to grog and released from the tension that holds one in a kind of fixture when at stations the welcome time of relaxation is further enhanced by the permission to enjoy the solace of that ever fragrant and mind-clearing weed tobacco chapter thirty rescuing fugitive celestials from ningpo we arrive off the city of ningpo somewhere about two in the afternoon and we are scarcely come to an anchor before we are surrounded with sampans which are all crammed with men women and children who are wildly clamouring for permission to come on board we run the boarding nettings up and are also careful to leave no ropes over the side whereby any of them can come up the side till such time as we have made some arrangements for the accommodation of such a vast number of people the zephyr is lying not far off and she is apparently crowded with people as are also a goodly number of lorchas that are lying between us and the city walls captain hauser of the zephyr pays us a visit as soon as we have come to anchor and a consultation is held between him and our captain as to the advisability of our sailing in convoy an arrangement that meets with the cordial approval of our commander the two captains having settled upon their plan of action our captain instructs nealance and me to get ready to accompany him on shore a cutter is placed in the water and manned with an armed crew of our hardiest men nealance and i take our places in the stern sheets where we are soon joined by our captain and captain hawser then putting off from the eamont we pull quickly for the shore as near to the main entrance gate as we can conveniently land half the boat's crew remain in charge of the boat and the other half follow us into the city to make as respectable a show of force as we can under the circumstances one of our schroffs has likewise accompanied us and as he knows the city better than any of us he pilots us through the many intricate streets till we arrive at the two ties or governor of the city for the time being the city looks depopulated of all its trading community and there are none of its usual bustling and thriving-looking mercantile people to be seen the city walls are crowded with imperialist troops of some kind or another and the gates are well guarded by a curious motley crowd of nondescript celestials in the garb of fighting men some are armed with old muskets a few have minier rifles a few more are in possession of gingals lashed on to bamboos and requiring the aid of half a dozen men to work them but the most part of them are only armed with the ugly knives daggers and short swords that are so common in the far east the two captains are granted an interview with the tutai the schroff accompanying them as interpreter nealance and i remaining in the vestibule of the tutai's mansion with our men to guard against any surprise the interview lasts about half an hour then we are rejoined by the captain and the schroffs and betake ourselves back to the boat on the way down to the boat captain gulliver explains to nealance and i the result of the interview as well as the necessity there is for holding any intercourse with the tutai at all when the people have left the city and are clamouring to get on board the eamont for protection the fact of the matter is the captain says to nealance and i the tutai had refused to allow quang li one of the head chops in the city and i dare say the richest 
to leave the city and i had instructions to threaten him with the bombardment of his city walls either by us or the british fleet if he did not restore him to liberty and allow him to proceed to shanghai either in the eamont or in any of his own lorchas how is it settled asked nealance if he is not alongside the eamont by five o'clock we will waken them up and make a hole in their walls for the rebels to get in replies the captain but i rather think he will be off by that time for the tootie seems a bit of a muff and i should not be surprised to hear of him running out of one end of the city as the rebels come in at the other leaving the landing we pull off to the zephyr in order to put her commander on board and as time is pressing we hurry back to the eamont to arrange about taking as many of the fugitive inhabitants on board as possible the zephyr we could see was crowded with them fore and aft but whether she had any under deck we could not make out we have some difficulty in making our way to the latter through the numerous sampans that are waiting permission to land the fugitives on board when we have got on board the boat is hoisted in out of the way then the captain holds a parley with us officers about the number we are to allow on board it being simply an impossibility to provide room for half the number who are clamouring alongside a strong guard is stationed at the gangway the hatches are taken off and a roughly constructed passageway made down on to the platform or floor of the hold everything being in order a sampan is allowed alongside to deposit its passengers one at a time upon the accommodation ladder mr jewell takes his station at the bottom of the ladder and receives or rejects the intending fugitive according to the amount of silver he is able to produce either in bars or mexican dollars a good many are rejected in the first half hour but as our accommodation gets smaller and the price of admission if i may so term it gets much larger very few of them are found to reject the terms of the chief officer the captain who has been watching the filling up of the hold and other available spaces at length orders a stop to the proceedings the ladder is hoisted up and the boarding nettings triced down to the rail so as not to allow of any more coming on board we have scarcely moving room as it is and we will have some trouble in working ship when we start on our return to shanghai the clamouring of the fugitives in the sampans whom we are unable to accommodate is something terrible to look at despair seems to have taken hold on many of them and they can scarcely be restrained from attempting to climb up the sides on the poles and oars belonging to the boats some hold out bags of dollars and others attempt to induce the captain to relent by offering bars of pure white silver poor frightened spiritless beings they cannot be made to see that it is impossible for us to pack any more into the space we have at command without endangering the lives of those we have already taken on board the captain stations the schroffs at each side to communicate to the hapless wretches the reason of our inability to succour any more and at the same time to advise them to seek for shelter on board the junks or lorchas but they seem to have as great a dread of the lorchas as of the expected rebels in the midst of this clamour kwang li and his family arrive alongside and are speedily brought on board a signal is made to the zephyr and then we begin to heave away on the capstan 
the captain's intention being to endeavour to pass out of the river under cloud of the darkness of this moonless night as already arranged between him and the captain of the zephyr the tide is just on the turn from flood to ebb and if the wind only holds so that we can lead down the river without much tacking we may get past chinai before we meet the next turn of the tide when discussing the matter with us his officers the captain after telling us of the arrangement made with the captain of the zephyr remarks it is a big risk but there is no help for it we must keep a bright lookout so that we don't take the ground anywhere near the opposing armies if they are still in the same position anyhow i believe myself both sides will be that much cut up with their day's work that they will be too lazy to get up and look at us so that if we can only keep afloat and this good working breeze hangs on we will be well out of it before midnight what do you think gentlemen asked the captain when he has finished his explanation it is the best plan i think replies mr jewel first class says nealance in reply to which i add ditto pipe the hands to grog mr jewel says the captain as for us we will take a snack when we can get it for we will all have to remain on deck till we have passed the rubicon which for us is to-night the town or village of chinai while the zephyr which is going to take the lead is getting under way we get as many of our fugitive celestials put below in the hold as we consider necessary for the working of the vessel till we get out of the river then we station sufficient of our men on guard at the hatchways to keep them in order everything being now somewhat shipshape and the zephyr under way our anchor is tripped and we sail on in the wake of our consort followed by the unavailing clamouring shouts of those who are left behind the night is all that could be desired for our purpose for it is opaquely dark that is it is very dark for landsmen but to a trained seaman it is what is termed a good night for distinguishing objects that have no apparent background such as the sails of a ship or a balloon therefore we are able to distinguish our consort's every movement by keeping our glasses bearing upon her snow-white sails by ten o'clock we have fetched down close to the narrow channel where the fighting was so brisk in the forenoon having only had to make two short tacks no lights are allowed on either vessel excepting the one covered light in the binnacle keenest eyesight is the best light for such a night and for such an enterprise before entering the narrows we see the zephyr make a short tack to windward in order that she may not be hampered with a shy wind in the most critical part of the passage so therefore as soon as we attain the same position we also make aboard to windward to keep the eamont well in hand as we glide silently through the narrows as soon as we see the zephyr away on the original tack we prepare to follow suit and very soon the eamont is following on the heels of her consort at a pace that would gladden a yachtsman's heart and in such a noiseless manner that the rustling of a silk handkerchief might be easily heard wind and tide in our favour we rush through this narrow channel with accelerated speed and it would take a smart marksman indeed to hit us unless by the merest haphazard chance we observe several watch-fires on both banks of the river 
but we are unable to distinguish anything in the shape of the human form divine either on sentry or watching by the bivouac fire safely through the narrows without arousing the attention of either army to our proceedings we sail rapidly on till we again see our consort heave in stays about a mile above chinai we again follow suit and fetch over to the weather shore this time for our last tack to windward for when we are once more round on the original tack we are able to give her a point and keep out of range of any guns that may be in position at chinai whether in the hands of friends or foes the town as we pass it is buried in darkness there is not the faintest show of a light to be distinguished after passing chinai we are dismissed from stations the watch is set and the high-strung tension of silent expectation which we have been under for the last six hours drops away from our brain with evident relief to our minds and bodies the wind is in such a direction as to enable us to lay a straight course for wusong bar it is not fresh but quite enough to force the eamont through the water at the rate of ten and eleven knots an hour although on a taut bowline we are sheltered somewhat by the numerous islands lying to windward of our tack which keeps the water as smooth almost as a sheet of glass the zephyr has somehow the heels of us for do what we can we are never able to come up with her and before daylight beams upon the water we are very near losing sight of her altogether our eamont was no doubt as finely lined and mottled as the zephyr but being of somewhat stronger build it was in real heavy weather that she brought out her sailing powers to most advantage the eamont was built in the isle of wight by those celebrated yacht builders messrs white who are still carrying on the business and with great success no expense had been spared in her construction therefore as good a craft as teakwood and mahogany could be formed and modelled into by the most excellent designers had been turned out from the yard of that long-standing yacht-building firm whose name is known the world over for the speed and excellence of the many yachts and other vessels that have been constructed by them the zephyr had been built in baltimore u s a and had been originally intended for a slaver she was built of american oak and elm and beautiful in construction but her timbers being of a somewhat more supple kind of wood than the mahogany frames of the eamont she was able to walk away from us when the weather approached anywhere towards the moderate and the sea was smooth as soon however as the wind increased to a gale with a corresponding rising of the sea then would the eamont show her staying powers and i have seen her under such circumstances sail right dead to windward of the zephyr and leave her out of sight astern in a matter of twelve hours when daylight at length makes its appearance on the surrounding scene the zephyr is seen to be nearly eight miles ahead of us close hauled like ourselves and carrying on every stitch of canvas that can be brought to bear upon her End of section 10